Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about The Passionate Friends. Yes. 1949 romantic drama, um, love triangle story, directed by David Lean. Yes. Um, I've never heard of it. No, I, I heard of it a year or two, probably a couple of years ago, uh, because Celia, who's been on the podcast before, who's from Warwick University, um, told me about it. She recommended a few, she's recommended a few films to me over over the time of Nona and very often they go down quite badly and I just I don't know why you like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, she described this to me when she kind of recommended it to me. She said this is one of her favourite films, possibly her favourite. She says alongside a film called Providence as well. Yes, I know Providence. Um, which I didn't like very much. Mm. She described this to me as kind of the anti-Brief Encounter. You know, it's like Brief Encounter if they'd got together and had a story to tell, um, in a way. You know, Brief Encounter is very chaste, and this, although there's not, although there's not really sex in this, this is they have chaste. a they have a, a an enduring romance that comes back and goes away and comes back, and that's what the story is. Um, it's a long encounter. It's very derivative of Brief Encounter. There are scenes that uh, are almost uh, identical. Yeah. So you know the way that the film begins with her on the tr- on the plane being kind of dreamy. You know, and remembering things. I mean, that's almost identical to the scene with Celia Johnson on the train, mm. kind of dreaming of the life she could have had in Brief Encounter. Um, the scene with her walking in the rain after, you know, when she's emotionally uh, uh, in turmoil in Brief Encounter. There's a scene very similar to that here. Mm. You know, the the train track and the thought of committing suicide. Here's the tube. You know, so actually kind of, you know, the voiceover... Yeah, there are yeah. many things that uh, are that's very... why that's why the comparison comes up. I think mm. you know that's exactly why it's not there to say oh this is better or worse necessarily, but it's it I, I, the way Celia puts it directly. I got her to send me because she loves this one so much. I got her to send me some thoughts mm. that we could uh, include and kind of discuss. And, and the first thing she said is, um, "It's what would have happened if she'd actually decided to have <laughs> the affair with Trevor Howard in Brief Encounter." That's what she liked. She says, well, <coughs> "Excuse me." So. Um, well, both films are polite about that, actually, because, mm. you know, this film sets the real love affair in the past, a kind of a brief reignition to it just before the war. Yeah. Yeah. Then basically kind of the rest is a misunderstanding. What's really interesting about this film and really, you know, what what convinces me that he is he's such a great director, David Lean is what he does with the other stuff. I mean, you know, there are moments of just kind of poetry in this film. So, for example, the scene when she returns to the hotel, it's so beautifully staged. So he's looking at her. She goes, like, completely wild into the balcony. You're seeing it all through gauze. And basically kind of, you know, you're seeing Claude Rain's point of view on this gauzy, poetic, kind of beautiful image, really, you know, and which you're only kind of seeing partially, right? And then kind of as she comes back, right, kind of it's almost like the shadow coming back into the light and basically kind of what you see is her tears. And that's the moment where he realizes that she loves him, that this other man is capable of bringing her joy and bringing her pain in a way that he can't, right? And it's also the moment that he realizes he cares too much. He actually loves her. And that 
and he knows he loves her because actually knowing that another man can do that to her and not him mm. paints him right and just the way that it's filmed of you know with the gauze with kind of seeing it through the gauze with coming out of the light and into sorry yeah kind yeah. of through the gauze into the light I mean, it's just completely beautiful, you know. And the way that it's staged as well, to so that he's he's sat behind the door, not like trying to pounce her or anything. I think he's just sort of sat there and actually bursts through the door. She doesn't see him; the door obscures him. So, so there's this there's this dramatic irony in the scene that you've described of, of him knowing that she's there and he's seeing everything, and she, uh, she not knowing that he's there. And then when she turns around and sees him, that all, all of a sudden the information is. It, uh, it, it becomes very clear yes. that he's seen one thing she's been doing something else and like I say it's not, it's not a uh, kind of really a romantic saying goodbye from this from this um, couple of days they've had together in, in Switzerland um, but you know the, what, what it is and what it looks like are two very different things and she immediately knows what it looks like yes I mean there were things I mean the film begins and it's already kind of throbbing with emotion, mm. you know, so she's on the plane and she's so ecstatic to be on the plane. And of course, it's the post-war, so she's thrilled with just like having butter, right, and real coffee and kind of presumably mm-hmm. those things that, you you know, you still can't get in England, right? So, you know, so there's like, yeah, and then kind of the flashbacks kind of, you know, begin, right? So you 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 start in the clouds kind of overjoyed, but also kind of with undertow, really. Um, and it's, it's just kind of beautifully staged. I, I just kind of think, you know, he really is a poet. There's, there's one scene also that really caught my eye where, you know, she's kind of thinking about him, right? And, you know, she's kind of lying on her back. And actually there are like these branches, I think, in the garden which are just kind of swinging over her face, right? And you could tell that, like, all her, all her troubled thoughts are just kind of all being expressed through that movement of the shadows of the, of the leaves mm. on her face, right? Which, you know, sounds a, a bit cliched, but it really works. It's really beautifully done. Yeah, and I said to you, by the end of the film, I was really welling up, which I wasn't the first time I watched it. Um, yeah, so I don't know what kind of difference is, but... Um, but I loved it the first time. Yeah. Um, but I think what's I think something that's quite interesting about this is the importance of Claude Rains' character. I think um, he's a little bit more important than you than you might expect, and he's treated as more of a person. I think very often in in these romantic stories, you want the the lovers to come together, um, and anyone who else you never think really about external. <laughs> or externalities, you know, negative mm. externalities. You never think about people who might get hurt, and you know anyone who might get hurt is they just have to like the husband has to be out of the way because otherwise the lovers can't come together. It's the most important thing is the lovers come together, and in this, um, Claude Rains is he's cast as a bit of a villain, you know. So when uh, Trevor Howard and Anne Todd are together, and then he shows up, and it's, and he'll never show up like in the scene. But you just see him arriving at the hotel, signing in. You see him at the party on an upper floor, something. And once you know that he's present, you kind of feel, oh no, you know, like they, they they're going to have to stop now, or yeah. something. Like that. And you kind of feel bad for him, I think, a little bit. But you also understand him. And then at, at the end, when the divorce kind of proceedings are underway and all this sort of thing, um, he lets loose at her. Uh, she comes to appeal to him. She says. 
and he lets loose saying, I never expected love from you. That's not what this was. I, you know, I thought this was a successful marriage. I thought we could share the things that I had and we'd be happy together. We'd enjoy them together. But the love that you gave me was the love you give a dog. Yes. You know? And he basically screams, get out. And, and his explosion, um, you kind of go, he, he's not a villain in this, you know? He's, um, he's a real person. Nope. Who deserves things, and what this is, what the story really is, is just about a compli- It's about the complications of love and relationships. Things aren't as simple as they should just get together and that'll be that. Well, what I think that's so clever and unusual about the film is that the adulterous lovers are at, they're like sunshine. So you know the Trevor Howard and Anne Todd character. You know they loved each other before. They love each other now. It's quite uncomplicated. They each know how the other feels about them. Mm. They're always happy to see each other, right? Kind of the only problem is that she doesn't want to marry him because she doesn't want that kind of love. She doesn't want to be so involved with somebody. She wants to be independent. And actually, he's got a line where he says, well, you know, that's a recipe for an unhappy life or something. I think he says your life will be a failure. Yeah. And that's when she goes off to marry... um, uh, Claude Rains. That's right. So, um, so whenever you see them together, there's always that ease, and Claude Rains is represented as a danger, as a threat to, you know, their ease and their happiness, right? And I think the film is so clever because at the end, basically, you know, he's the one who's truly loves and who's truly in pain, <laughs> you know, who suffers, mm-hmm. right? So actually kind of, you know, the threat or the danger or what could so easily have been a caricature of an evil, wealthy guy mm. ends up kind of being, you Much know, more nuanced. Yeah, so, you know, he's a chump, you know, who, who's, who, who's fallen in love with someone, you know, who really is only thinking about someone else, right? So you get to see it kind of from his point of view and you get to see his pain. Um, and that's really lovely to see. When he's introduced Claude Rains, I think it's a wonderful introduction where he stood up on this balcony while this New Year's party is happening and he turns around and it's kind of, it's dramatic and he's wearing this huge cape like Dracula. Yes. You know, like he starts off immediately as a pantomime villain. Yes. Um, I, think, I, think, I think what's amazing about Claude Rains in this film, I mean, he's such a brilliant, brilliant actor anyway, but he only has three scenes. And actually out of those three scenes, he steals the movie, you know, kind of, um, there's the scene that you described the new year's Eve, but that's really just about looks, Mm. right? There's the scene where he catches them, you know, they've, they've claimed to go to the theater and they haven't. And he kind of traps them with dialogue, right? Which is very portentous. You know, the way that he says certain words carry this, you know, this creates like this whole undertow of kind of what you see. Um, then there's the scene where he sneers at romantic love. He says, which actually I would like us to tape that and put it on the podcast. Cause <laughs> it's just, you know, the line reading of that is just brilliant, you know. Yeah, the, li- the line something like, the lo- with him it's just romantic love. Yes. Which is quite a funny line, we both laughed at it. Yeah. Uh, See, if I thought that you and Mary could make any sort of a life together, I might feel very differently about this. But I don't think you could. How can you possibly judge? You say you love Mary. Yes, I always have. Well, you may love her, 
But you don't know her. I do. Our marriage has been very successful until now. It's based on freedom and understanding and a very deep affection. It's the marriage Mary and I both wanted. Your love is the romantic kind. The kind that makes big demands. Nearness, belonging, fulfillment, and priority over everything else. That isn't the kind Mary really wants. Although you almost persuaded her that it was. And it's brilliant the way he says it. Um, so, and then this, you know, the, 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 last, the last aria, which is what it is, really, where he first uh, tells her to go away and then kind of breaks down and admits how his feelings for her uh, have been complicated and have changed. I mean, it's just, you know, there are very few scenes, really, if you think about them. He's, he's on screen for very little time, mm. you know, but um, he really becomes the heart of the, of the film, really. He becomes the, the core of the film. He's really brilliant. And he's also a constant presence, even when he's not on screen. You know, I mean, the fact that he, the fact that she's married to him, and yeah, yeah. that's that's obviously just that's that structures kind of everything. It's important it is, though. I think the film is so original because actually, you know, what you have are two people in love, and they both love each other. And like I said, they're very easy with each other. They feel ideally matched. They like the same books. They like doing the same kind of things. They talk very easily, and they're also passionate about each other. And actually, what's interesting about the film is that that's not good enough, you know, mm. for that's not what this woman wants, right? So, you know, some woman's ideal of having it all is not what she wants, you know, and I thought that was, that's kind of like just conceptually such an interesting thing. Mm. You know, she wants something else. She doesn't want passion. You know, she wants calmness and coolness and, you know, social position and money, right? And the friendship. She doesn't want messy Right, and of course, kind of the irony is that it's all messy, really. <laughs> and ex- except, you know, on the other hand, she kind of does. She just doesn't necessarily want to admit that to herself. You know, she she can't keep away from Trevor Howard. Yeah. When he's there, and as you say, whenever they're together, there's they're always smiling to him. Even yes. when even when the divorce is happening and his life is being threatened and she's kind of being mentally torn apart, when they meet up in the park, they're still smiling. Yes. You know. Yes, and other. it's still, and she's still thinking of him. And his happiness and his family and what it will do to him. So it's very selfless in that way, um, you know, which kind of makes, yeah, it makes kind of, it makes all of it very interesting. Um, I was very fascinated as well by Anna Todd um, and by Trevor Howard because Trevor Howard is incredibly good. Um, he really kind of conveys everything he's meant to. And I'm quite fascinated with him because, you know, in some ways he's quite ugly. Yeah, like... He's got terrible skin, um, you know, his face is all pockmarked and he's got kind of this pointy, this chin that points inwards. So he's not quite handsome, really, uh, but he's very attractive. I'd, yeah, kind of. He's smooth um, and he's polite and I, I think it's in the way he acts. Like you kind of feel like he's the kind of guy who would never try and press an advantage, that kind of thing. Yeah. He's, he respects distance and that sort of thing. And, and that just makes you want to draw him closer yeah <laughs> he's, he's 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 very good um she's she's an odd presence because you know in some angles she looks quite beautiful in other angles she doesn't really right and you know kind of i was thinking it's like a, a kind of a wonky garbo or somebody like you know so you know she's not yeah she's it was almost she was like an almost garbo or a wonky garbo or, 
you could see the resemblance, right? So that she's she's quite beautiful, but she's also kind of slightly off, and also actually I think a bit dull, really. You know, within that look, um, as an actress, right? I mean, I think you know in this film the cinematography and the lighting and you know everything does ninety percent of her job for her, <laughs> right? So I mean, she's very effective in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it's not necessarily due to her. Um, so kind of so that's kind of what's so interesting because then with Claude Rains it's like genius really like every line counts every look matters right like you know it's it's kind of astonishing in that way and again it's kind of looks in conjunction with the camera you know so kind of um, yeah there are sometimes where he's so close up to the camera where his face kind of you know so he turns sharply to see what's going on. And actually the sharpness is indicated as much by the angle of his face as mm. by his look, you know? So it's just it's just brilliant work. The very, very end of the film where he reveals to her, he thinks, but actually to no one, that he loves her and then goes and chases her. Mm. And, and it's this um, wonderfully dramatic ending where she's, she's about to throw herself in front of a train, um, having been told, uh, you treat me like shit, this is like the end get out and then he comes and saves her and it's properly dramatic that, mm. that grab you know and then he holds her in his arms and then the line this is something that Celia kind of first pointed out to me and I just completely agree with her the line where um, he kind of holds her for a bit and she kind of calms down and they sit down on a bench uh, in the underground and he says shall we go home now and she looks up at him and says home and he says if you want to that is mm. there's this the way that his face moves it's mm. so subtle and so minute but it's this his face kind of breaks into this sympathetic mm. look that just it it's the most romantic thing and it just it i was welling up throughout the entire end i thought it's just emotionally so raw mm. at the end here particularly and i think it's particularly brought on by claude rains's character opening up emotionally mm. that he's been kind of cold throughout and and calculating and like I say a bit of a villain and then you you think you know I'm wrong about him mm. <laughs> um, the film is so brilliant because the scenes that you've seen before this are almost like heavenly right so you know they meet by accident in Sweden you know they go on um, cable car up the mountains and everything is dream and clouds and whiteness and ease and laughter right <laughs> you know and they go up 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 Right? Yeah. And then kind of, you know... In that last scene, it's down, down, down. Down, down, down. <laughs> right. I thought exactly the same thing. Down, down the escalator, down the stairs, down into this tunnel. Yeah. And it is this descent. Yeah. yeah. It's really brilliant. Um, the other thing that I want to comment is that it's a very glamorous film. Mm. You know, and actually um, not what I usually think of when I think of post-war British cinema. No. Right? So, um, you know, the dresses are beautiful. You know, there's a scene where she's running and just like the movement of her coat from the back is a thing of beauty, right? And she's obviously kind of wearing, you know, like these couture dresses, very striking. The homes are striking. You know, the, 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 um, the holiday destinations are striking. It's kind of, it's Switzerland and... You know, the mountains and chalets and cable cars and speedboats, right? It's kind of, you know, it's, it's like a glamorous, you know, Hollywood 
film in yeah in, yeah. in Britain really. Uh, it has all those production values and you know kind of all of those uh, pleasures which are uh, pleasures of, of, of production really mm. um, but also used very expressively in the film. Yeah, so there, it's not just mere decor, but actually the fact that the decor is so luxurious is a real pleasure to see. Yeah, and a lot of location shooting in, in Switzerland in particular, which is mm. just beautiful. But certainly this is an unorthodox story in the sense that, you know, traditionally you, the couple would be Trevor Howard and Anna Todd and you would find the way for them to be together. Exactly. Right. And the Claude Rains character would be that which impedes them being together. And actually, the, the, the triangle here is very different. What impedes them being together is actually Anna Todd, right? Anna Todd. Anna Todd. So, you know, he loves her, she loves him, but she doesn't want to be with him. She wants another kind of life. So she is what impedes that couple. The threat really is not Claude Rains, hmm. right? So kind of that's a very interesting setup. You know, and then to have like a sophisticated relationship where what's important is friendship and trust and companionship and so on, you know, and, you know, that again is kind of very interesting to see, you know, in a film of this kind and particularly the fact that the transformation happens with the male, with it's Claude Rains who learns to love. She actually hasn't changed, you feel. No. You feel that she still loves... You know, so she's had a happy marriage in her own terms with Claude Rains, right? And she wants it, but yeah, she's sorry to lose it. But actually, all her feelings are still for uh, uh, the Trevor Howard character. So that's a kind of a very interesting mm. kind of uh, and, and unusual and quite remarkable kind of uh, repositioning of like the normal triangle. Once this film has ended, and she's been rescued on the on the platform um, and invited back home. The story is far from over. There, there are other places that this story would go. You know, yes. um, um, it's not as simple as, you know. Yes, we're done now. <laughs> yes, though, though, and maybe that's why the film wasn't a success because you suspect that Trevor Howard is right. That what's the line that he used? You'll never be at ease with yourself, or you'll. You'll never blanch yourself. So I can't or remember you'll have a lonely life. Or you'll be a failure. Oh, you're li- to set up for a life to be a failure. Something yeah, yeah. Like that. So, and you can see that actually that's probably going to happen. Mm. You know, because so Claude Rains now loves her, but actually, if anything, that will make her relationship with him more difficult. I, you know, when it's two people who just mm. appreciate each other and appreciate the companionship, and well, yeah, yeah that's but when more... one ends up loving and the other one doesn't love back. Mm. That is in itself a problem, right? So the ending is far from a happy one. And actually, you get the feeling that Trevor Howard really has moved on, you know, that he is mm. happy in his, with his family and his wife and his children, and he's happy to see her, you know, and he has happy feelings for her. But, you know, you don't get the feeling that he's ready to give everything up and run off with her now either. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, so you do get the sense that the life, it's quite the, the result of the choices that she's made are not going to be happy ones. Yeah. Um, it's funny, the thing about failure is funny. There is another line in, about um, their marriage being unsuccessful. Claude Rains says it's been very successful. 
And but but then you know, kind of in the context of he he doesn't think of it as uh, romantic. He thinks of it as uh, slightly pragmatic, a relationship of friends and people who can share things. You know, yes. so me so so already there's this idea of success not necessarily having to be romantic success. You know, the so again, so again, the kind of the idea that success in this story being the lovers getting together and living happily ever after is not something that this film is about. Well, I think the film takes um, Claude Rains' notion of romance at heart. I mean, it kind of it does posit that um, you know this wild, passionate, romantic love is is not all there is to life. It's not even a good thing necessarily a good thing in life. But actually, the film also shows you how it's inescapable, how even the most rational, level-headed person, you know, and against his will, succumbs or is taken over, you know, or is invaded by this passion that he can't control and makes him act kind of against himself in a way. So, yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that's so interesting about the film. As, as he does at the end. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go to a couple of things that Celia said. Um, she didn't. She didn't. I basically asked her to jot down some notes mm. um, that that might be worth thinking about. So um, she says, "I like the fact that there's no outright villain." I think we've we've sort yeah. of talked about this. You know, you kind of understand everybody. She says it's very possible to see every side of the triangle sympathetically and to find everyone's motivations reasonable or self-evidently natural. Though later the relationship between wife and husband comes to the fore. Yes. Okay. Nothing's really. I think. Yeah. You know, I think we've talked about that a bit. Um, she she mentions the beauty of the landscape photography, um, usually ones like meh, and particularly in black and white. But the scenes in Switzerland have such a sense of light, altitude, and air to them. The yes. other black and white landscape film I love is Palin Pressburger's Ill Met by Moonlight, which also relies mainly on light to convey the sense of place. Mm. I haven't seen Ill Met, Ill Met by Moonlight. No, I haven't either. No. So sorry, so you pointless pointless point to make. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is one that I think is really worth bringing up, and I kind of picked up in it while I was watching it and I mentioned to you one or two things the choreography she says made up of a combination of the blocking of the actors and editing the scene where the husband is aware of his wife's infidelity this is the uh, theatre scene yeah he's aware of his wife's infidelity but toys with her and her lover before revealing what he knows is is exquisite I can't really fully break it apart though I've tried too many times it's utterly perfect like a piece of precision watchmaking a mechanism that operates very precisely where you physically see the shift in the balance of emotional power or who has the upper hand. So it starts with the agonising dramatic irony of you knowing that he knows about the affair but them not knowing that he knows. Close in on his face, then him moving back, her moving forward, then close in on her face when she knows he knows which is which is when she sees the leaflet that he's put yeah, down, the, the programme from the, um, the theatre. So he's gone to the theatre to see they weren't there. Although the lover still doesn't know, and then this ballet which physically moves them about back and forth in depth within the frame as shifting points in a literal triangle. Dance is the closest analogue, but this is like an emotional dance. Yes. Well, that's a very well, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, except that there's also his line readings on top of that. <laughs> I mean... Though I, I think do they remember... work in combination. They work, like, what you're saying about his line readings is yeah. absolutely right, but they work in combination with... His, but it's it's quite a theatrical thing that the character is doing, you know, leaving the leaving the uh, program where he knows it will be seen by her but not by him. Well, and then saying things with double meanings. There are several things here. So first of all, just the beauty of the setup because it's a very simple setup. And actually, I remember at this point telling you, my God, you know, it's isn't it interesting how how very few things 
you need to make something so tense, mm. right? It's just a differential of knowledges. You know, we know that he knows, <laughs> right? Yeah, so kind of the situation when they arrive is already charged. You know, then he's left out the little program so that, you know, she'll come across it, but you don't know when she's going to hit it, right? Then actually he puts a drink on top of it so she can't miss it, right? Yeah. yeah, and then so we know, he knows, she knows, but now the other guy doesn't know. Yeah, so it's very simple. The situation alone is one that kind of creates all of this tension. So that's the first thing. It's just the situation. Then the way that it's pictured for us, right? So kind of, you know, what Celia was describing there about kind of, you know, the camera movement and kind of, you know, the 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 foregrounding of her and then the responses. Yeah, and, what, you know, what she mentioned about like kind of like this triangle. And then on top of that, really, there's the actors themselves. And foremost amongst them, because he's really controlling that scene, is Claude Rains. Claude Rains mm-hmm. right? So all of those elements are kind of just, you know, brilliantly put together. It's kind of, it's genius cinema, actually. Yeah. And it's, it's a combination of, of all of that staging and performance, but, but also the script, you know. It's, everything's very cleverly organized to, you know, so... Um, first it's the tickets have been let well first it's I'm going off to the theatre with Stephen oh you haven't seen Stephen in a while you know oh have you seen much of him no no I haven't and of course you know that she has yes um, and then uh, Claude Rains at home with his secretary the tickets have been left behind would you just call the theatre and see you know and then he goes off goes to the theatre sees they're not there so like it's it's one thing after another to to give characters information to give a cat and then what it ultimately does is give him power in the scene as Celia says and kind of status and the ability to uh, manipulate the situation to mm. to I'd say toy with them you know I'd like I'd like to say when when we talk about there being no clear villain I, I do think still that I think for a long time you are supposed to really think of him in that way not as an outright villain but having some kind of villainous tendencies or you, villainous abilities and being the obstacle to, you think to about that relationship. That, you think about him that way only until the moment where they've agreed to run off together and she decides to stay with him. Mm. You know, And then actually I think my feelings at any rate changed because then I thought, well, the villain is really her. You know, kind of she's towing both of this older man who offers her security and this younger man who truly loves her. You know, um, and yeah, she's kind of promised one thing and done another and basically kind of sold out for money and richness. And, you know, you also get the sense it's really also her own self-protection. But there's this beautiful shot afterwards, which again, I thought, you know, my God, isn't, isn't Lean brilliant? Because it's so simple. So, you know, he's been kicked out of the house. And so you see him from this high, high angle shot looking down and it's almost like he's plastered against the sidewalk, right? And then kind of there's a reverse shot and this time, you know, the camera is at eye level or just below eye level and you see him kind of looking at the house where things are going on that now he can't have access to. And actually it's just lovely, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a way of giving him sympathy. You know, he's the one who's defeated and longing, right? Mm. And that is really just done through the angles. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it's the eyeline match of looking up at the house and mm. back at him and up at the house. Yeah. Um, I think there's also some... that There, there are a couple of kind of uh, cinematic <coughs> flourishes or kind of excursions, which I think are interesting. Like the scene in which Claude Rains 
imagines the worst in the chalet when he sees uh, he's up in the room and uh, and Todd is waving Trevor Howard off at the boat <coughs> yes again you you knowing that nothing has happened really between them they just have this picnic but he sees them he's only just turned up there he's imagining the worst and the camera gets very close up to his face as we, as we mentioned and he kind of turns dramatically and his, his, his eyebrows are kind of contorted in this kind of imagining and thinking and then it cuts in on a shot of Trevor Howard and Todd kissing passionately and then cuts away again and like and it, this kind of the wildness of, of, of those things kind of um, intruding on him and then there's, there's another imagined bit where it's just prior to that when the two of them are having the picnic and they've already talked on the cable car on the way up about oh you've got a family how old's the kids all this sort of thing like establishing really that they are having separate lives you know mm. um, and then while he's setting up the picnic she's sat on a, a, a rock on her own and imagines she that uh, cable car trip again and she says you know when did you get married which is the line that she said and he goes married I could marry no one but you and they kiss yeah. and, that, and it's just the, just one shot just this kind of this slightly alternate version of, of what might have happened uh, which I think is I think wonderful and kind of jumps in and I think you, don't, you, you kind of don't quite expect that and well just to add because the scene that you were describing when you know because so again it's beautifully done in this it's almost like a MacGuffin. He's got, you know, he's sitting with his secretary. He's got these binoculars, right? And they're coming on the boat. And so, you know, you immediately have this this tension. Will he see them coming on the boat? Mm-hmm. And then there's all this play. He picks up the, the binoculars, but he looks at something else. And then he puts them down. And, then, you know, the secretary's anxious because she knows, knows that the they're coming. Yeah. Right? So, actually, it's just a lovely, again, mm-hmm. that's just kind of, the writing is, you know, is lovely because it creates all that tension. That's all mm. the tension of the situation. But then actually, when he's in the room and he looks over the balcony and they're saying goodbye, I actually don't think that the kiss is a passionate one. You know, I think this, his suitcase has gone down and she, she kisses him goodbye and, you know, she's waiting. No, no, he doesn't see the kiss. He imagines a kiss. That's what that, that's what's happening in that sequence because there's another shot that cuts in of the secretary no. walking away from the table and again it's like it's like the usual suspects going oh that's what was really happening he's imagining something much worse than was happening but the kiss that he imagines between the between the two uh, between Anton well, we should and see, we should see that again because my feeling was you know that they kissed and they actually kiss in the mouth but it's not a passionate kiss it's a it's a goodbye kiss I'm happy the, to queue it up again yeah let's look at it I'll pull, I'll pause this here and then we'll come back. Okay, so we've we've just stopped the podcast and to go and look at that scene again. Yes. And come back. So um, what we've what we've seen is there are two kisses shown. One is the real kiss. Yeah. Uh, as as Claude Rain sees it from up on his balcony, a very long way away, and it's just a little kiss on the mouth. That's right. And as you say, it's a goodbye kiss. Yeah. And then um, then the music comes in, duh, 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 dramatic music of of him yes. imagining, and then he imagines a much more passionate kiss between the two of them. Well, he imagines all kinds of things. So, you know, so he imagines that they've actually been having a passionate kiss that, uh, um, you know, all the hotel staff is laughing at him, you know, that the secretary's in the know and anxious, 
Right, so... Uh, he gets the feeling of everybody's yeah. in on it. So this is just kind of the director showing us his interiority, what's going on in his mind, mm. right? Which is different than what he's seen and w- what we've been shown him seeing. And the point that I wanted to make is that, you know, so, so he's seen just a normal goodbye kiss. He's imagined all these terrible things. But actually, the moment that really destroys him is the moment where she walks into the room, panting, mm. you know, excited, waving goodbye wildly to the man she clearly still loves. And then when she turns around, she walks in the shadows and is revealed to be in tears over her loss. And the loss is him. Mm. It's Trevor Howard. It's not. So, so her experiencing this joy and sorrow at another man is what really destroys Claude yeah. Rains. You know? That's the point I wanted to make. Yeah. And the other um, kind of cinematic uh, sort of flary excursion that I wanted to bring up was the one in which it's just after this, in fact, where um, he immediately uh, d- he looks at her and leaves and then immediately a divorce papers come up. Yes. And um, and there's this montage of shots of uh, telegraph wires. Yes. And things like this and trains. And it and there's there is a, a lot of um, voiceover. And it's not like I mean it's it's uh, you know, uh, it's 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 the sound of people in kind of telephone exchanges and things, and it's saying, oh. can, "Can you find Trevor Howard? Where is he? Oh, he's staying here. Is he?" And you know, the, and you hit you, you you catch things like he's staying in Geneva, but the 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 image that goes along with that is a train going to Paris. Mm. So she's kind of one step behind as she tries to warn him, um, and eventually catches up with him in Paris. But again, she's kind of too late because the guy is there with the divorce thing, so she couldn't get there in time, and, mm. and she has to hide. Um, and I think that's a wonderful sequence. And again, it kind of comes up from out of nowhere. It's a much more active sequence, uh, kind of visually. And it's mm. a little bit different from, from, from what we've seen in the rest of the film. And it completely conveys sort of the... the uh, all of a sudden, it's like um, it's like the film has sort of gone, okay, well, the story's gone here, so I have to, I have to show it the way it's supposed to be shown. But it's, it's, it's like you're kind of chasing the story visually. It's interesting. Yes. You know? I mean, I think I didn't like the music. It's like... Overly underlining everything. I, I love that. Yeah, well, I found it too much um, and too heavy. And at moments, it came across as really just too loud, like extraordinarily loud. Um, so, you know, I think that could have been done better. But, but then, here, on the other hand, like when you get to the final scene, in fact, in fact, at the, at the most dramatic points here, I think maybe other than that, the, the one we just went back and visited, the, the imagining scene. Um, I don't think there's any music. You know, in 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 the final scene at the train station, in the well, uh, kind of scene where he catches them in the affair. I, I, you know, I don't remember very clearly, but the music is loud and excessive throughout the film. Except, and actually, you can tell how loud and excessive it is because there are moments where the director turns off the music completely, and actually, the lack of music acts as an emphasis to the emotion. And there are also times when the characters have to shout over the music, which I like. You know, so right at the start in that party scene, um, they're saying, oh, will I see you tonight? Where am I going to see you? And they don't communicate with each other over mm. the volume. Mm. There's another point where that happens. I can't remember exactly when, um, which I, you know, I, I kind of like. Well, I, I mean, I liked it. And I actually, I particularly liked the jazzy bits where they're dancing together and they've got the phonograph on. Um, but um, the extra diegetic music is really, I found, too much. Fair enough. Um, I, I want to uh, bring one more thing, and this is something that Celia brings up. 
my friend and I have talked about whether or not this is a feminist film. Does Anne Todd have agency in her life? So is the scene where Reigns invites her to come home and says, if you want to, that is, respecting her agency as a woman to choose for herself how her life is going to be, are they now in a relationship of equals? Or is the way that he says it more paternalistic? Is he treating her as a child at that moment and only offering the illusion of free will? Well, I'm on the feminist side, she says. My friend is on the non-feminist side. I think this is very much a story about her emotional life above all. Oh, well, no. I mean, I think the last line, or the way that I understood the line, is if you want to be speaking in insecurity about whether he is lovable enough, or worth loving enough for her to want to return. Mm. I think, you know, that line is, you know, about him as much as it is about her. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the feminist angle is clearly one that's been worked into the film, you know, but basically it's an illusory one. You know, as far as we know, she's got no money and she's got no position. It all stems from him. And as we're shown, he, he can give it or he can take it away, right? So the only safety or action that she has is to choose not mm. to abandon herself to feeling and love. Which actually, you know, if that's a feminist choice, it's a very poor choice. It's a very kind of poor uh, 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 set of choices to offer. Yeah, she does still kind of find herself in a difficult position. I think it is a romantic ending. You know, he 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 comes to admit to himself more than anything that he loves her. It's um, a romantic ending from goes, his point of view. Yes, um, and I but, think I think it I think it is offered to us as such. You know, and that's why he goes to rescue her. And it's supposed to be a romantic um, kind of rescue and um, sort of. Admission or reconciliation, that sort of thing. Yes. At the end, but her, but, but you're right that her... she doesn't really have an awful lot of choice as to what she does. Um, she is still kind of at his, not his beck and call, but as you say, like the only choice she really has is whether to leave to nothing. Or well, not. she's now lost Trevor, right, and she's now on the verge of losing the security, position, friendship, etc. That she once had with him. Yeah. So well, that's why she goes down to the train station and that's wants right. to kill herself. She's so, both. so the option then is to kill herself or to accept yeah. Claude. So I don't see, I don't see how that's a feminist. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, I think that's that's it's interesting because I think because because um, I do find it romantic that he kind of uh, embraces her and takes her into his arms and comforts her and says, "Do you want to come home?" Um, and you're right that is kind of from his side that it's romantic but and that's one of the things that makes the film interesting yeah because it's all focused on her feeling and her feeling for Trevor Howard and then Trevor Howard's feelings for her you know and so on but actually what it ends up with is Claude Rains discovering feeling and being overwhelmed and overtaken by it which I think is lovely Mm. you know so here's this man who had given up on that, who didn't want that, who was too rational, you know, and who was kind of focused on social position, the finest things in life and achieving success, you know, and who wants a companion to live that life with him and share in it, but all of a sudden kind of overtaken with, you know, feeling and emotion. Yeah. And you're right, kind of the the idea of, of um, although it's 
not that useful to speculate, but the idea of what happens next in this story is an interesting one because you end you now end up in a situation you think where um he loves her, she doesn't love him, she never has. Um he's rescued her from suicide and um you kind of feel there's an obligation or not an obligation obligation not the right word, but uh, a kind of gratitude or thankfulness or some responsibility to mm. be grateful for that <laughs> from her. But yet it's not like she can give him what he's now giving to her, mm. this love, because she still doesn't feel that. Um, and then there's the added thing of that she's, she relies on him for safety, money, security, all the rest of that. Mm. So you end up with a very difficult situation between the two of them now. I think it's wonderful, and I think it's more wonderful now than when I first saw it. I think, you know, I, I think it's... I mean, I, and I really didn't like Brief Encounter when I saw that. Oh, Brief Encounter's um, wonderful. And, you know, I'm sure that on second viewing, I would like that more. But um, maybe I maybe I didn't get it or something, I don't know. But um, I, th- I think... I think the, there's a relative complexity. There's certainly a structural relative complexity in this, you know, with the flashback and flashback informing things and going back into the, back into the present day eventually. Um, and I think the way it's structured is useful. I don't think it would... It would it's not the same story if it's told chronologically. And I think the way in which Anne Todd... It, it's about her memories, you know, and she is kind of caught between the memories of this love that she had and where she is now in her life. And that's what I think that structuring... Uh, kind of privileges and emphasises and brings in because as you say like um, Trevor Howard's character is is much more ready to give up the the possibility of relationship with her and by the time that he's got married and had kids you are absolutely certain that that's what he's done and she won't she can't the thing about the Trevor Howard character is he's been courting her for 10 years including X numbers where he's already married to to the other guy. Mm. So actually, as soon as she turns him down for the second... Yeah, as soon as, basically, he's committed adultery with her, you know, and on the basis that she really loves him and she's ready to run off with him. And then when she backtracks on that, then I think that's the end of it for him, mm. right? And what's interesting is it's not the end of it for her. Um, but I want to mention a point because, you know, you were talking about uh, a Brief Encounter. Yes. This film should have paid a royalty... To Noel Coward, because really the script, <laughs> the script borrows so many elements. It's it's not even funny, right? So you know the voice. I, I've mentioned some of them before. The voiceover, you know, one a scene on a train, the other one a scene of a plane. But then all of those, you know, the romantic incursion. Yeah, having a day out. They go to the theater. The other ones go to the cinema and mm-hmm. encounter, right? They're yeah, kind of um, the outing over the bridge. Uh, um, Suicide by train. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's almost like a checklist of things that mm. they've copied. It's really uncanny. And actually, it's... Um, it is based on a novel by H.G. Wells. And I don't know... I've never read the novel, and I have no idea kind of how closely it, it adheres to the novel. But I, So I don't know, to precise extent, kind of what, what might be drawn from that or not. But certainly, in the light of Brief Encounter, you're right that like these things are... Uh, some, some things are quite identical. I mean, I'm just sorry that when I taught Brief Encounter... <laughs> that I hadn't seen this film because you know I would certainly have brought it into into play earlier. Um, yeah. Anyway, we should wrap up. I think it's a, a really, really brilliant, wonderful, heartfelt film, and um, you know I was surprised to find myself kind of welling up as much as I did. Yes, this, you were uh, and, blubber uh, at the end and, tearing, <laughs> and properly tearing up right then. Uh, and um, 
because you know I th- I think it's somehow under the surface like these things I in in English film at the time somehow they always feel like everyone's kind of prim and proper and saying oh yes oh darling oh how are you and and yet it's that masks real depth of feeling yes 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 you know yes as opposed to like uh, you know um, if Beale Street could talk where it's just screaming feeling at you yeah yeah <laughs> you know what I mean and yet yes. somehow the effect on me is the same yes. Um, no, it has that kind of a. It has wonderful restraint, and also it has um, undertow, right? So you know this this notion that people say one thing but they're really meaning another, right? So kind of they're playing text against subtext, or you know the surface over what's underneath, and putting it into play all at all times. I mean, again, we talked about the scene where they discover the tickets, but that whole scene is about that. Right, about kind of saying one thing, meaning another, yeah, and so mm. on. So, um, yeah, it's kind of... It's wonderful, though. I also understand why it wasn't a success. Yeah, well, too far, I don't have any information on... Um, I, well, I had information on its critical reception at the time. The BFI had a page on it. As far as a kind of financial box office says, I have no idea. Well, but, um, Critically, um, it seemed to have been received with some mixed... Uh, let me just get up what the BFI said, actually. Um, give me one moment, please. This is so. This is on BFI Screen Online. Um, it says uh, the passionate friends provoked mixed reactions from critics who welcomed an adult love story, but were frustrated by what they saw as Lean's refusal to tell that story straightforwardly. The Evening Standard described the film as quote such a wild melee of retrospection and reminiscence that it would appear to be shot with a time machine instead of a camera. Ah. So they're talking about the structure there, particular the flashback structure. I think. Me, the reason why I think it 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 couldn't be a hit or it must was the ending. You know, because mm. whilst it's wonderful, it's also um, against audience expectations. So you know, she doesn't end up with her true love. <laughs> yeah. The lovers don't end up together. You know, the person who ends up being true and in his feelings is actually the one that you expected to be the villain and at the end you have like this you know this woman who's meant to be extraordinarily beautiful kind of ending up with the man she doesn't really love so you know that's not the recipe for a happy you the know course a of, the success. course of true love <laughs> did run smooth as, as did the course of just kind of convenient love <laughs> so it's a, it's a complicated thing but I think that you know that's why it's, that's why it's good yeah no I think it's great um, you know audience is dumb yeah um <laughs> But anyway, so let's wrap it up. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube. Um, yes. Facebook uh, and Twitter. Yes. Uh, and eavesdroppingatthemovies.com is the website. And apologies to those of you who've been leaving comments on the YouTube thing because, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we suddenly realised uh, that... I mean, there are some of these that nobody's listened to on YouTube, and then there are others that have thousands of hits and several comments, and we just kind of didn't realize that they were there, uh, so we haven't responded, but we will we will be checking in more thoroughly in the future. Uh, so thank you very much for posting, and we do appreciate them. Yes. Goodbye. Cheerio. <laughs>